Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. Open, if you would, to Matthew chapter 8, please. Matthew chapter 8, and we begin it in verse 23. It just so happens that this was the Sunday as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew that we would talk about storms and what a storm and winds we have seen this past week as one estimate recorded 70-mile-an-hour winds at one point. That's close enough to be a hurricane-level storm. And Jesus tells us about a particular storm that happened at the beginning of his earthly ministry, beginning in chapter 3, rather chapter 8, verse 23 of the Gospel of Matthew. This is what we read. It says, When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, But he was asleep, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. We've seen what storms and winds can do this week. Some of you still without power. Tragically, several people across our commonwealth and in other states losing their lives as a result. And when that smooth lake, the Sea of Galilee, could often become a dangerous place, and it could do it in just a moment. And when it happens in this case, the question is always, where is your faith during times of storm? Because can I say something to you? It is easy to have faith when things are going well. Anybody can bless God during the good times. But during the difficult times, does your faith hold steady? And I want you to see how in this passage, the disciples who are scared out of their mind, these men who are fishermen, who ought to know the winds and the waves and the sea, like the back of their hand, nevertheless, by chapter 9, become fearless, effective missionaries. Because whatever is the question, Christ is always the answer. During the War of 1812, James Madison, and Dolly Madison rather, took from the White House the most valuable image they could find. It was the portrait of George Washington. Just before the British marched and burned the place down, they managed to save that image. What most people don't realize about the War of 1812 is it wasn't the heroics of James Madison or Andrew Jackson, the mighty general that saved it, but more than likely, many historians will argue, was the storm that came right during that time, not only putting the fire out, but putting the British on retreat, absolutely destroying their ships and their infantry and giving the American army time to escape. Many actually say, had that storm not come, one of the greatest storms on record, the British may have well won the war, and a lot of you out here would be drinking tea instead of coffee. Some of you would like that. Now, I want you to imagine a storm on the seas without the surety of land. There's a reason why when people kiss the ground after being on a long voyage to be able to stand in land. In fact, if you've read the book, The Perfect Storm, which later became uh, a movie, they will quote this on storms. The producer, author Sebastian Junger said this about a storm, a mature hurricane is by far the most powerful event on earth. The combined nuclear arsenals of the United States and the former Soviet Union don't contain enough energy to keep a hurricane going for one 
day, a typical hurricane encompasses a million cubic miles of atmosphere and could provide all the electric power needed by the United States for three or four years. Nothing compares to a storm. They're often unexpected. They're often unpredictable. And can I say something? Storms in life are often unexpected, and they're often unpredictable, and sometimes they occur from the most unlikely sources. But the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, had these storms not come, would you follow God in the same way as you do today? Now, the Sea of Galilee was notorious for sudden weather changes. These guys, these apostles, these fishermen had probably been on that particular boat hundreds of times. This is the territory that the disciples know. They are all self-sufficient. They've all got it figured out. They don't need the master's help until they're called off guard and until they did. And notice something else. It wasn't as if they were distracted. They were following Jesus when it happened in this great storm, the Greek word is seismos, from where we get our word for earthquake. This great storm arose, and in the middle of it, the most ironic, perhaps tragic thing of all, was that during it, Jesus was asleep. Now, how many of you like to sleep during storms? A few of you tell your neighbor you're more like Jesus than, than the rest of us. Here is Jesus able to sleep through a storm, which almost no one else can do. And the disciples who know the seas better than anyone say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And little did they know just how much truth was in that statement. These lifelong fishermen are asking for help from a carpenter. Because they understand that Jesus can do something for them that they can't do for themselves. And Jesus, upon waking from his nap, if Jesus took a nap, maybe some of us should take a nap. He says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? The disciples are afraid, and Jesus calls them out, and he tells them why it is they're afraid. It is because of their lack of faith. And hadn't he just told them in the Sermon on the Mount not to worry about their lives? For your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. Think about what these guys had seen. They had seen the miracles. They had a front row seat to everything. And now they're in a boat right next to Jesus. And they still don't understand who he was because they didn't fully trust him. I think about Elijah calling down the fire on the mountaintop and the very next moment running away from Jezebel because whenever we begin to fear the word of man the circumstances of life rather than the word of God that's when our faith slips out and the disciples start to focus more on their circumstances rather than on their God because if you only measure your faith by your circumstances your faith is ultimately a shallow faith. Instead, true faith is measured by trust in God regardless of the circumstances. Because when you feel like trusting God the least is exactly the time when you need to trust him the most. And Jesus has a way of reminding us of that. It says, then he arose. And he didn't just tell the winds to stop. He didn't say, calm down winds. The Bible says he rebuked the winds, and the sea. And there was a great calm. And here are the disciples wondering what in the world is going on. And they marvel. 
That is, they're amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? You know, a lot of times we tend to equate this passage with the storms of life. But I want you to think, if Jesus can calm the actual storm, how much more does he care about our storms? You know, I'm not against protecting the environment. I'm not what you would call an EPA advocate or a Greenpeace kind of person. But I do believe in stewardship of the creation, that God has given it to us for a reason, and we're to exercise dominion over it as his, as his creatures and as people who he's left in charge until he returns. But in this particular aspect, we see exactly how creation comes about. Jesus doesn't join in the panic parade here. He rebukes the weather, and he realizes something that the disciples don't, that ever since creation, this has been going on as creation itself groans out for a ruler who has left it unto itself. And now the very ruler who created the winds and the seas speaks to the winds and the seas. It isn't just as if Jesus is performing a miracle. He is instead speaking to the very objects that he created and telling them exactly what to do. Creation, groaning for a ruler. The Bible says just as with birth pangs, all of these years waiting for someone to arrive, waiting for someone to take over. And now he is here inaugurating the kingdom of God and bringing with them peace in the midst of the storm. The world knows desperately little of peace today, and yet we are confronted with the very person who is the prince of peace. How can you, in the middle of the storms of life, still recognize and celebrate Jesus? I think about Paul and Silas in prison who were beaten for their faith and getting out their hymn book singing praises to God. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it exactly that we fear in life? Some of us fear loss of control. Some of us fear getting a shot. I know I file into that category. Some of us fear a diagnosis. Maybe we fear when our marriage will end up. Maybe we fear who our children will become. Maybe we have a fear of being alone. But can I say this to you? In your walk with Christ, God will do whatever it takes to get you to trust him fully. He did that in David's life. In fact, when David was on the run against King Saul, when the people wanted to anoint David as king, David had to flee for his very life. And in Psalm 57, he opens with these words, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. There he is, writing the psalm, as he fled from Saul, hiding in the cave, having an opportunity to take out Saul and take the behalf of the people who wanted him in place, and yet saying, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. There's a book written about the differences between Saul and David and Absalom. It's called A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I would encourage you to read that if you never have because it talks about while David often defended others, he didn't defend himself. He refused to touch the Lord's anointed. He refused to defend his actions. And Gene Edwards has a wonderful quote with David sitting there in the caves by himself on the run for his life. He says, there in those caves, drowned in the sorrow of his song, 
And in the song of his sorrow, David became the greatest hymn writer and the greatest comforter of broken hearts. This world shall ever know. Because the purpose for God with you in the storm is not to get you out of the storm, but to take you through the storm and to be with you in the storm. I remember getting on my knees and praying with a close friend right before the toughest deacons meeting I would ever face in my life. And the friend prayed over me that very day, Lord, let him be led of the Holy Spirit in whatever is said and done. You know, you're not really responsible for being successful in your business, in your position, or anything else. All you got to do at the end of the day is make sure that your integrity is intact and right before the Lord. Because you will build your life on one of two foundations. The Bible talks about how the winds came and the winds blew and the house stood because it was built on a rock. And Jesus uses that same rock to build his church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus will put right things, wrong things right through the eventual restoration of all that has gone wrong in the world because even the winds and the waves obey them because their ruler has returned to make the wrong right. But there's another storm that's gathering far greater than this one. And when others were encouraging him to fall along, Jesus instead breaks from that script. And in that storm, he is not calm. He is not asleep. The disciples are asleep. He is sweating. Jesus is pleading with God. And yet in the midst of that suffering, he is at peace because his obedience is pleasing to God. He knows that he is doing the will of his Father when he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Peace in the midst of a storm. You know, most of these disciples suffer martyrs' deaths. They don't have good endings like you and I would expect. But they loved not their lives. And Jesus rewards them with the crown of life. Horatio Spafford years ago was a wealthy businessman who became a believer. He was good friends with D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist. And one day after he had faced the great Chicago fire and lost most of his property holdings in the city, he decided to take his wife and kids overseas to meet Moody where Moody would be preaching. And he sent them on ahead because he had some business to take care of. And along the way, their ship ran into an ironclad vessel and 300 people drowned, including four of Horatio Spafford's children. They later found his wife on a life raft unconscious she was eventually transported to New Zealand and was able to send him a cable which included the words saved alone and Horatio Spafford had to wonder what to do he decided to go with his wife to the very spot where his children had drowned and while on that vessel he began to cry out to God and ask him to make meaning of the circumstances of this life and what he was to do in the rest of it and it is said that he began to write the words to what Philip Bliss would later pen to song. And here's what he began to write after losing his children and nearly losing his wife. He wrote, 
When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Christosom said years ago, what can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness are the Lord's. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not fear for him. And from death I do not shrink. Can I say something to you? All through your life, you are going to face storms. You're either in one right now, you've just come out of one, or you're about to get into one. The key is not whether you can avoid the storms. The key is who is with you during the storms. And if you will trust in Jesus, as W.A. Criswell used to say, hunker down in the ship of Zion, you can ride out the storms because there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. They said a young John Wesley was said to have said to one of his friends whether he ought to quit preaching until he had faith. And the friend's reply was, by no means, preach faith till you have it, and then, because you have it, you will preach faith. Isn't it interesting that the Scripture doesn't tell us how much faith we are to have? It simply tells us who our faith is to be in. And Jesus takes care of the storm. I want us to bow our heads for a moment I believe I'm preaching to somebody today who's facing a difficult storm in life's journey. Maybe there's not a whole lot of people that know about it. Maybe you're wondering what in the world you're to do. And Jesus has a word specifically for you right now in this moment that says, I will be with you during that storm if you will simply trust in me. Is that you today? Do you need to grab a friend, someone you trust, and commit that storm to God? Maybe you're here today and you just feel tossed about by all the storms of life, the chaos of this world in which we live. And friend, it is chaotic all over the place, all the time. It's interesting that peace often doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean circumstances in life are great. It simply means there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you trusting him today? Are you battered and tossed about by the storms of life? Are you looking for someone who can be that anchor for your soul? His name is Jesus Christ. He's a rock. He's righteous. And he's building a foundation on the solid rock of the chief cornerstone with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, he doesn't go away. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't fail. It's not in his vocabulary. And if you will trust him today, you won't regret it. Father, I pray right now that you would have your way in our hearts, in our lives. Lord God, help us to see Jesus. Help us to lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. Lord, in this church, grow among us a people who are willing to do whatever it takes, not because we're great, but because you're great. Because you have told us in your word that nothing 
can come between the promise of eternal life. Lord, we're persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to those words we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord, revive your church, that your people may rejoice in you, and that those who have never heard may hear his name. Lord, you've said people who, will, who have not seen him will believe. People who have not heard will understand. God, do that among us, we pray. In the name of Jesus.